We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to talk about the Feast of Holy Innocents and this historic Christian holiday that we've forgotten about on the Christian calendar and why it is important to remember the story of Herod's butchery of young children in Bethlehem and that this is pertinent to today, modern America, and what we're doing to our own kids. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. As I said in the introduction, today's topic is the Feast of Holy Innocence, a Christian holiday, a holiday that's been on the Christian calendar for centuries, one that I think we need to remember rather than forget. And unfortunately, I'm picking on my own right now again, Protestants and Evangelicals, of which I am one, Unfortunately, we've forgotten this holiday. We don't celebrate it much anymore. When we hear of it, some of us are even surprised that it exists, but it's been around for hundreds of years. And we should remember it because it's biblically grounded. The Feast of Holy Innocence. And what is it about? It's about commemorating the biblical story, the historical fact that when King Herod, Herod the Great, was informed by the wise men that they were aware of a king, a king that had been born recently, and that they were trying to find out where he was. This is how Matthew records that part of the story in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then they go on and they say, For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Then Matthew goes on further and he says, When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he, Herod, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ child would be born. And then as you know the rest of the story, the scribes told Herod that the Christ, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. That the prophet Micah had foretold of that. So anyway, with that as an introduction, let's take an early break. And when I get back, I'll read the rest of the story out of Matthew. And then we'll discuss this within the context of the Feast of Innocence and what this has to do with our current situation in America and how we're treating our own children. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. 
The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to the Rebellion. So with the introduction setup that I gave you before the break, let's go on and finish the biblical story, what the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Matthew about Herod's reaction to this whole thing where the wise men from the east are coming to him and saying, hey, we are aware that there's a new king born, a king of the Jews. Can you tell us where he is? Well, Herod doesn't like this. And it's interesting that the Bible tells us that all of Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod. Why? Because they knew the man was a butcher. They knew that this would put him into a state of rage. And Matthew actually confirms this. In chapter 2, verse, uh, what verse is it here? It's verse 16. It says this, Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, because they went to Bethlehem and then they didn't go back to Herod to report out to him as they had been told to do, they actually went back home by a different route because they were warned by an angel of the Lord to not go back to Herod, to stay away, just get out of here and go home. That's the Piper paraphrase. So back to Matthew, reading from it directly now. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. And he gave orders, listen to this right now, because this is the context for the Feast of Innocence. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men that Jesus was probably born. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Okay, that's from the Gospel of Matthew. This is a story about the execution of children. And the church has historically held that these children were the first martyrs of the Christian church because they were executed because of Jesus, because of the belief that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the King of the Jews, the one foretold by the prophets, Isaiah, Micah, and all prophets in between. And Herod was threatened by that. And all of Jerusalem was disturbed too. Not because the king was announced. They were probably grateful. They were hopeful. They were prayerful that this king would rescue them from the political oppression of people like Herod. But they knew that there would be hell to pay. That Herod would go into a rage. And indeed he did. He actually ordered the execution of all boys two years of age and under in and around Bethlehem because he didn't want to bow the knee to a new king, to bow the knee to the king that was actually foretold by the prophets in the scriptures that were supposed to be the undergirding, the foundation for the Jewish culture, for Jerusalem. 
So what's this have to do with today? Why are we celebrating the Feast of the Innocents? Again, because they're the first martyrs, but also it's a commemoration of treating children poorly, sacrificing children for the sake of political power. And aren't we doing that today? I mean, stop and think about the statistics. And I'm getting these numbers from the Guttmacher Institute as well as the CDC. So these numbers are not coming from some conservative source. These are the actual numbers, the statistics, the data being shared by progressive sources that think abortion is a good idea. Okay? How many kids do you think are sacrificed per year in the United States right now? If you go back about 10 years, it averages about 900,000. Those numbers are irrefutable, and they're probably low because those numbers are self-reported from abortion clinics. And there are certain states, at least on the CDC side of the data, that don't even bother to report. For example, did you know that California doesn't report to the CDC? So when you hear the abortion statistics out of the CDC, California is not included therein. I'm not sure why. I couldn't find that in my research this morning. But the fact of the matter is, one of the states, if not the state, that conducts the most abortions, California, because of its population and because of the radical nature of the government in California, Gavin Newsom and whatnot, it's become an abortion mill. I mean, he's actually inviting people to come to California to get abortions. I guess it's an abort vacation. Go there, get an abortion, enjoy the beaches while you're in California. I mean, this is how crazy it's really getting out there on the West Coast. But they don't even report their data. So back to my point, we have about 900,000 abortions a year right now, if you go back 10 years or thereabout, that's the average for the number of abortions that are being reported by liberal sources, progressive sources, pro-abortion sources here in the United States. Another thing that I don't know, and I don't know how you would even track it, I don't think you could, is uh, how many abortions take place because of abortifacients, the morning after pill. Unless women are self-reporting on that, you never know what the data really is because, or the data really are, because you you don't know how many children have been lost as that means, as uh, at the hands of that method of abortion. Okay, so back to my point. Uh, slightly less than a million a year, about 900,000 a year. Do you know what percentage of those abortions take place after 16 weeks? Well, about 4%. So what's 4% of 900,000? Well, that's 36,000, okay? So you have 36,000 children per year that are killed after they're 16 weeks old in gestation, in the womb. Now, you might say, well, they're still not viable because the child can't live outside the womb until they're about 21, maybe 24 weeks of age. Well, how many children are aborted after that point? Well, it's only, quote-unquote, 1.3%. Should you celebrate that? Well, no, because 1.3% of 900,000 is what? 11,700. So we know from Guttmacher and the CDC that we kill at least 11,700 children that are viable per year, at least. And if you want to push the science backward at all and say that there is a chance, it may be small, it may be slim, but there is a chance that a child could be viable at 19 weeks, 20 weeks, 21 weeks. If you want to argue that, which you could, but I, 
I'm not even going to make that argument right now because I'm not a medical doctor, but my research on it would indicate that there are rare cases where you might actually be able to preserve the life of the child outside the womb, even younger than the 21-week mark, okay? If you want to go there, then the number of 11,700 actually goes up, obviously. Another statistic that's fascinating, if not telling, is the percentage of women that actually get abortions today. Do you know what that percentage is? It's about 30%. Did you know that? 3 out of 10. That's the number reported by Guttmacher and the CDC, that nearly 30% of American women today have had an abortion. And you could argue that the number will grow annually as the older generation dies off and the younger generation becomes the norm. That number of 30%, it's not going to go down unless there's a revival or some sort of great awakening in the United States where people actually wake up to the fact that they're killing their children. And why? Why? Is it because of an unwanted pregnancy? You can't make that argument anymore. Because if it was unwanted, why did you wait till 21 weeks? Why are 11,700 children being killed? It's not because of an unwanted pregnancy. It's 21 weeks! You're at 21 weeks right now, and you're still killing, killing the child. It's not because you're surprised by this. You're making a decision. Now, I don't know what percentage of the 30% of American women that have had abortions do so within that time frame, but we do know that at least 11,700 children per year are being killed after they're viable. And if you want to go back to 16 weeks, which why would you wait that long if it's an unwanted pregnancy? It's not a surprise then either. You've got 36,000 people, human beings, per year that are being sacrificed. For what? For political power? For a political agenda? My body? My choice? What about their body? What about that other human being's body? Should they have the choice to live if they could speak? If they could tell you, about the pain that they endure as the result of having their head severed from their body, their arms and legs pulled off perhaps even before that happens, so that they're still aware of what's going on. This is what's happening. We're executing the next generation. We're executing our progeny for the sake of political power. Frankly, I'll make this argument for the sake of a new religion, a religion of self a religion of wokeism, a religion of self-righteousness. We're sacrificing our kids on the altar of convenience. I've talked about my views on abortion before on this show, but I, I wanted to set you up with this statistical reality of where we are in the United States of America right now. I'm going to repeat the numbers one more time. At 16 weeks, we're sacrificing 36,000 children a year in the United States of America. At 21 weeks or more, we're sacrificing at least 11,700 children a year in the United States of America. And totally, we're sacrificing over 900,000 children a year, on average, in the United States of America. All for the sake of my body, my choice. All for the sake of political agendas. All for the sake of women's rights. We kill the next generation of women, little girls, because disproportionately more females are aborted than males. We know that as a fact, too. We know in New York City alone that more 
black babies are aborted annually than are born annually. So this is a genocide of women, children, females. It's a genocide of minorities. And we sit back and talk all self-righteously about this as if it's a moral good rather than an abhorrent evil akin to what Herod did to the children in Bethlehem, the little boys in Bethlehem in those first early days of the church after Jesus was born. The Feast of the Holy Innocents is a commemoration of this. And we should be, we should be honoring that holiday. I, I refrain, I refuse to use the word celebrate. And if I used it earlier in the show, it was, a, it was inappropriate. This is not a day of celebration. This is a day of mourning. This is a day of confession. This is a day of repentance. Oh, perhaps we honor and celebrate the martyrdom, the, the, the fact that these little children were the first martyrs of the church. In that sense, yes, we honor this day. Uh, we're, we're grateful for the example that these first martyrs set for us, that they died for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Okay, fine. If that's the way we want to celebrate it, then so be it. But I would argue this is a very sober day that everybody in the church, evangelical, Catholic, Orthodox alike, should be remembering, commemorating. Because here in the United States today, we're killing our children in much greater numbers than what Herod himself did with his sword. And we're doing it after they're viable. Every year, 11,700 kids are sacrificed after they're viable. Why? Why? Because the woman decided that she didn't want to change her lifestyle? Uh, After 21 weeks of realizing I'm pregnant, uh, I don't think I really want to change my career. I don't want to have to be responsible for a baby, for a child. It's going to be awfully expensive. And, oh, the father of this child just told me yesterday that he doesn't want to have anything to do with this. So... I, I'm just going to have to. I'm just going to have to go have an abortion. Am I being insensitive here, or am I being realistic about some of the conversations that likely take place when these eleven thousand seven hundred children are are consigned to the altar of Baal? All right. I've told you before on this show that I used to be pro-choice. If you haven't listened to this one before, then listen to me right now. After I graduated from college, my first job was a campaign manager for a pro-choice state representative in Michigan. I managed her campaign, and I remember going door-to-door for her and writing things for her and talking to people on her behalf where I said, her name was Mary Keith, Mary Keith doesn't believe in abortion. She just doesn't believe in legislating morality. That was my candidate's justification for her position on abortion. Again, I'll repeat it. She doesn't believe in abortion, but she just doesn't believe in legislating morality. Well, why did I change my view on this? Because that's a stupid argument. Every law, every legislative act assumes some moral standard. I don't care whether it's a speed limit. I don't care whether it's a law against murder. I don't care whether it's law, a law against theft, vandalism, or whatever. All of those laws... All of that legislation assumes a moral foundation. You're doing it because you believe that the violation of those laws is a violation 
of the moral assumption that led you to create those laws in the first place. You're saying that it's immoral to steal. It's immoral to kill somebody via murder. That it's immoral to vandalize somebody's property. You are always legislating morality. To claim that you don't believe in doing so, to say that you don't believe in legislating morality, would be akin to saying you don't believe in creating laws against murder and homicide, or speed limits, or vandalism. Laws against any of those things would be wrong because you're legislating morality in every case. So it's a dumb argument to say, I don't believe in abortion. I just don't believe in legislating morality. It's vacuous, it's stupid, it's circular, and it makes no sense. I used to parrot that, and I realized one day that it was a dumb thing to keep saying. Another reason that I am not pro-abortion any longer is that it makes no logical or biological or scientific sense. I've told you the story before about when I was a dean of students back in my early career at a Christian college in Michigan. I hired a resident assistant. A resident assistant, as you all remember, would be the student that you hire to help supervise a dorm floor. Now, when I hired these students, I chose them for good reason. I chose them because they had good Christian character, and I felt that they would be honest and that they would fulfill their obligation to enforce the rules of these Christian schools. Okay? So, I hired a girl named Jean to be a female RA, resident assistant, within one of the women's dorms. Now, I knew Jean fancied herself as being politically progressive, and she knew that I was politically conservative as her dean of students. We had a good relationship. We had a fun relationship. Well, one day while she was in my office, I thought I was going to joust with her, poke at her a little bit about politics. So I, I said, Jean, you're a Democrat. You're a progressive. And you are proud of that, right? Absolutely. I said, pro-abortion? Pro-choice? She said, absolutely. It's the woman's body. You have no right to tell her what to do. I said, great, Jean. Good for you. So first trimester, woman's right to choose? She said, absolutely. It's her body, her choice. Leave her alone. You have no business intruding into that, that decision as to what she wants to do with her body. I said, great, Jean. First trimester, pro-choice. How about second trimester? Okay, now stop and think about the statistics that I shared with you earlier. Now we're talking about 11,700 babies that are going to be killed in America annually because of second trimester or later abortions. Okay, Jean said, absolutely. Second trimester, it's her body. It's her choice. So I want you to follow me on this story right now. First trimester, her body, her choice. Pro-abortion, pro-choice. Second tri trimester, her body, her choice. Pro-abortion, her choice. So I said to Jean, good for you. You're being consistent. How about third trimester? Do you still believe in abortion? What do you, what's your stance then? Jean said, Absolutely. Nothing has changed. It's her body. It's her choice. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester. It doesn't matter. You have no business telling her what to do with her body. I said, okay, great, Jean. You're being consistent, logically consistent. Good for you. I've got another question for you. How about 60 seconds before birth? Still pro-abortion? Pro-choice? Jean said, absolutely. Are you tracking with me right now? First trimester, second trimester, third trimester, 60 seconds before birth. You've got to give Jean credit. She's being consistent. She's not changing. And in that sense, good for her. 
I applaud people that are consistent in their morality, in their worldview. But now she's arguing that it's okay to terminate a child 60 seconds before it's born. I had one last question for her. I said, Jean, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, even 60 seconds before birth. How about 60 seconds after birth? How about the mother finds out that this child that was just born is Phil? Now, who's Phil? Phil was a a student on our campus who had uh, cerebral palsy. He couldn't uh, walk. He couldn't move his arms other than he had a little bit of ability to navigate the campus with a joystick in in a wheelchair. That was Phil. I said, how about 60 seconds after birth you find out that this baby that was just born is Phil? Pro-abortion? Pro-choice? You know what Jane's response was? Yes. Woman's right to choose. That should stun you. Now, this was in the 90s. Okay? This was in the early 90s when Jean told me this. And keep in mind, this is a Christian girl at a Christian college who I've just hired to enforce conservative rules at a Christian university. And she's telling me, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, 60 seconds before birth, now 60 seconds after. And it's still okay to kill Phil. Now I'm pausing right now. I want that to sink in. Why did I change my views on abortion? Well, first of all, the argument that you don't want to legislate, legislate morality is stupid. But second of all, that's where it leads. Jean was being logical. You could even argue she was being empirical and scientific in her choices. She had decided that that human being did not exist, that it was nothing but a mass a lump of cells, cancerous, if you will, that could and should be removed from the woman's body if she chose to do so. She had made that decision. And if she defined that thing as being a mass of cells rather than a boy or a girl, a human being, then it didn't matter how old it was, whether it was first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, or even 60 seconds before it moved out of the woman's body somewhere else. It still wasn't real. She had decided that. It wasn't an empirical fact. Ontologically, in reality, she knew, epistemologically, that this wasn't a human being. She had decided that. Now, when that thing moved, nothing had changed other than time. 120 seconds, 60 seconds before birth or 60 seconds after birth. Nothing has changed other than time and maybe location. It's moved probably less than three feet, maybe less than two feet, from the birth canal into the woman's arms or the doctor's hands. And if that child is unwanted, even after birth, If it didn't exist as a human being 60 seconds earlier or 120 seconds earlier, then it doesn't magically become a human being now, does it? You see, the answers to these questions that Jean was giving were logical. She wasn't changing her view. 
And that's why I kept saying, good for you, Gene, you're being consistent. But I was hoping that the rhetorical nature of my questions, as well as the modestly sarcastic nature of my good for you's, my affirmations, would help her realize that, yeah, okay, you're being logical, but you're being immoral. This is an awful position to hold. And it really is no different than King Herod's position, where he felt that he had the right to define what human beings could live and what human beings could die, that he could dumb down the definition of some human beings to such degradation that they didn't even deserve to survive. He would do this and butcher children up to two years of age. Well, we would never do that. Abortion isn't the advocation of killing children up to two years of age, isn't it? Gene just told me that you could kill one 60 seconds after birth, so why not 60 days after birth if you've decided that, well, I just can't handle Phil. It's going to be too expensive. And if it's 60 days, why not half a year, six months? Why not two years? Peter Singer has advocated for post-birth abortion people, and my student at this university was doing the exact same thing. Today is the Feast of the Innocents, and we should commemorate the fact that children should be preserved and not executed. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.